I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome, everybody. A little midweek edition of Rico Bronia. A lot going on. By a lot going on, I mean nothing's going on other than rumors and anxiety about when this MLB offseason will really, truly begin. When will we get that big free agent signing that will cause a lot of us to say, How come we didn't sign that guy? What are we doing? And then when are we, as Met fans, going to celebrate our first signing? Now, before we get to any of that, understand that Friday is a very pivotal day in Major League Baseball because that's the day we're going to find out for us if Daniel Vogelback is coming back. And then B, other guys that are going to join free agency. The non-tender deadline is on Friday. And there's going to be a handful of guys, maybe not stars, obviously, but guys that become available that we will look at and say, hey, that guy fits the Mets. In fact, something happened over the last 48 hours that sort of goes that route. The Cleveland Guardians decided to DFA Cal Quantrill. And Cal Quantrill is certainly a guy who you would look at and say, I don't mind him as rotation depth. He's still relatively young. He's only 28 years old. He's coming off a terrible year last year, but the year before that was a reliable innings eater. And since the New York Mets love Jeremy Hefner, and he's Teflon, no matter who the manager is, maybe Jeremy Hefner could take out his magic wand and fix Cal Quantrill. So he's certainly one of the guys that recently became available, and more guys will become available on Friday during the non-tender deadline. All right, a couple of thoughts on Mendoza and his staff. We'll get to a lot of emails today, and we'll talk through some of the rumors that have come out about some of the premier free agents in Major League Baseball. Number one, I just made that kind of snide remark about Jeremy Hefner. And I'm very mixed about the Hefner thing because everything I hear about him is that he's a brilliant guy and that he is the kind of pitching coach that if he was made available to other teams, teams would be climbing all over each other to hire him. So obviously, Jeremy Hefner is a respected guy. David Stearns took over this organization, certainly didn't owe anything to Jeremy Hefner, and decided to retain him. And they decided to retain him before Carlos Mendoza ever met him. I mean, think about that. The the Mets hire a manager. They're going to trust Mendy to be a big part of building this staff. And one thing he never got to make a decision on is the pitching coach. So Jeremy Hefner is obviously very well respected in the Met organization. What is challenging sometimes with coaches And for us to determine, hey, should that guy still be here? What do we think of this guy? Is we go on results. And because the Met pitching 
has been so mediocre over the last year. And it's not just high price guys not pitching well. You've had other guys go backwards. You know, Drew Smith certainly jumps out at you as a reliever who's gone backwards over the last few years. You look at those results and you say, is Jeremy Hefner really that good at his job? I mean, it's a fair question to ask. So I'm not pissed that he's back. I'm just more impressed that he's back. I'm impressed that whether it's Luis Rojas or it's Buck Showalter and now it's Carlos Mendoza, the Mets are committed to being in the Jeremy Hefner business. With that said, he is going to have a lot of work to do in 2024 because as much as the Mets may add a veteran starting pitcher or two or a potential ace or two, a big part of what is going to need to happen in 2024 for the Mets to be successful and surprise some maybe is you're going to need guys to come out of nowhere. You're going to need pitchers to develop, whether it's some of the younger guys like Mike Vassell and Blade Tidwell and Christian Scott, who may come up at some point, whether it's some of the relievers who could turn out to be key relievers in this bullpen, not necessarily the guys they signed during the off season. We're going to need to see Jeremy Hefner work that magic, but right now he's worked some kind of magic Pete. And you know what that magic is? He continues to have a job as the pitching coach of the New York Mets. Well, I want to say this because it's it's funny. Like the one thing that Mendoza made a point of when pitching, the, when picking the staff, he goes, "We're gonna have people that are very energetic, and we're gonna have this whatever his explanation was. I don't remember exactly, but I remember hearing the word energy. Jeremy Hefter doesn't have that. He's very dry. He's very plain, and like you said, really." I haven't seen the effectiveness at all over the past couple of years. If anything, they've relied upon, you know, star stud veterans to be the, 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 you know, the, the lock for the, for the, for the pitching staff. And I just don't, I don't get the Jeremy Hefner thing. And I don't understand I why, I don't understand why Mendoza has to be thrown Hefner to start it off. So, so what, what's interesting about it though, is that, this Hefner obsession that the Mets have stems different general managers and different managers. So it's not as if there's one general manager that just loves Jeremy Hefner and he's basically telling every manager you have to have him. I mean, David Stearns clearly runs this organization and he's made a lot of changes in the front office in a short period of time. And obviously he made a change at manager and he did that immediately. And David Stearns walks in here and obviously thinks Jeremy Hefner is legit. What I have heard is that with his pitching data, with his communication, with the way he's viewed around the game, Jeremy Hefner is respected around baseball. And if the Mets decided to move on from him, teams would be lining up to try to hire him. That's what I have heard about him. Like I said before, I, I think a lot of us just go based on results. And if the Mets had a lot of overachieving pitchers, kind of like what the Braves used to do in the late 90s, where Leo Mazzoni would bring in, you know, Jared Wright, and all of a sudden he'd be great. I think those are the kinds of things we're looking for, and we haven't seen that yet. So that that's that's the weird thing about it. I think that's the thing we're waiting on. I'm really intrigued to see what he does at bench coach, because one of the the rumors that have come out since Mendoza had his press conference is his love affair for Willie Randolph. And I'll tell you why I'm very intrigued by Willie Randolph, and it's not just the connection to 06, 07, which is not even this great time in Met history. Let's think about it. You know, 2006, they had this loaded team that blew it in the NLCS. 2007 was one of the great collapses of all time. I have said that Willie Randolph was a successful manager, but I think a lot of that is just in relation to every other manager 
that the Mets have had for the most part. But it's not like 05, 06, 07 is some kind of golden era in Met history. So my interest in Willie has nothing to do with writing of the wrong of the past. It's the idea that you want to have, if you're Carlos Mendoza as the manager of this team, as many different personalities, but more than personalities, philosophies around you. And obviously the front office, who he's going to be partnered with, their words, not mine, is going to be an analytically driven front office. And Carlos Mendoza, and he said this in his press conference, and Brian Cashman even said this when he was talking about Mendoza, has learned a lot about analytics over the last couple of years. And that's fine. Analytics were a big part of Major League Baseball. I'm certainly not saying it shouldn't be a part of it. Willie Randolph represents an old school view. And so I think it's great to have as many different views in that locker room, in that dugout, in those meetings when you're making decisions about lineups and decisions about how to use your bullpen. I think you want as many views as possible because one thing Mendoza said was, I'm going to use everything. I'm going to use every piece of information you can have. So to have a guy on your bench that A, has been a manager, but has also been a bench coach. I mean, Willie Randolph's coached for a long time in this sport and definitely gives you that old school perspective. I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. Of course, it's a good thing. Like, I like that. I like having a lot of different views. Jeremy Hefner is going to give you his angle on things. Willie's going to give you his angle. The front office before games, they're going to give you that. And then ultimately, Mendoza's job, if we buy that he does have this power, and I tend to believe he does, gets to make the decisions between all those competing thoughts. And sometimes he may side more on the Willie side, and sometimes he may side more on the analytical side. So I hope he gets Willie Randolph. I, I also think, Pete, it's good to have a, a guy on your bench who's managed before. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I think that's absolutely a positive for a first-time manager. Yeah, no, well, listen, I mean, it's not football where you need to worry about, like, you know, timeouts and stuff like that, but challenges and stuff like There's a lot of things that... We don't need to go through those Mickey Calloway mistakes. We don't need to yes. go through the Luis Rojas mistakes. There was a ton of like you know first time managerial issues that you can't have, especially when your the expectations just through the roof. By the way, looking back at Rojas, I think his biggest issue was not even the quote unquote X's and O's or bullpen handling. I think his biggest issue was not having a feel for his own room, not understanding what was happening in that locker room, and I think. Or at least I'm hopeful that Carlos Mendoza is not necessarily going to have that issue. We'll get to a lot of your emails throughout the pod. Uh, and one, there's there's a bunch that were so fascinating in terms of different ideas that we didn't touch on on our off-season pod. If you missed it, it's a few episodes ago. It's an hour and a half. It's damn long. But we all lay out all our different off-season plans. And it's funny. There's so many different ways you can go with this Met off-season that we barely touch the surface. That's why... Coming up on our Sunday edition of the Rico, we're going to focus squarely on third base. Really take a look 
at all the different options internally and externally that they have for third base. But a lot of great ideas in the email at the B at gmail.com. David from New Jersey writes, you guys mentioned the possibility of trading for Corbin Burns and or Brandon Woodruff. Brandon Woodruff less so now because of his injury. I was thinking and wanting to see if you guys agree. If the Mets are willing to take back Christian Yelich in his contract, you think it'll take less prospects or would the Brewers take lesser ranked prospects to rid themselves of the Yelich contract? Obviously, you'd want to get one of the best pitchers in the game in Burns, who I personally prefer, but maybe even get lucky and get something out of Yelich. What do you guys think? This idea by David was so good, I stole it and brought it on the air with Evan and Tiki and talking about Yelich as a fit for the Mets and the Yankees as a way, as he points out, to bring down the price on a guy like Corbin Burns. For Hoff's sake, Pete's guy that he looks at in Milwaukee that he really wants is Devin Williams. And I get that, by the way. If the Mets could go get Devin Williams, I'm certainly not against bringing that airbender pitch to City Field. I just don't know if there's as much of a motivation to trade Devin Williams, who's under team control, as there would be Corbin Burns, who's a free agent at the end of the season. The way to answer this is, first of all, David, yes, I'm into it. I'll answer that right. Of course I'm into it. Because... The Mets, if you look at what they need besides the obvious, which is pitching, they need an outfielder. They don't have enough outfielders. Right now, the only reliable outfielder on their 40-man roster is Brandon Nimmo. Then you have Starling Marte coming off injury. Then you have DJ Stewart. No idea if he's any more than a quadruple-A player, despite the way he played. And a lot of the younger guys are not going to be ready. So they need to add a left fielder. Last year, they relied a lot on Mark Hanna and Tommy Pham. Christian Yelich is still a productive player. If you look at his numbers last year, he produced. Now, he's not the MVP player that he was five years ago, and if you expect that, well, you'll be disappointed. But he's still a quality leadoff hitter, gets on base at a high pace, stole nearly 30 bases, still has a little bit of pop. And so if that's the negative that you have to take back to bring down the prospect return on Corbin Burns, that is a no-brainer, and that is up my alley. I don't want to trade a lot of prospects, but I am damn well into using money as a weapon, which I think Steve Cohn should use. And he used money as a weapon when he dumped Scherzer and Verlander and were able to get big prospects back. If you go to a team and the Yelich contract, it's not good, but there's worse. You know, Anthony Rendon's contract is worse. You know what I mean? Like that, that one's worse. I remember when we were talking about Otani a year ago. Hey, would you take? Rendon's contract back if it means getting Otani. Yelich is a still a productive player, has been relatively healthy the last two years despite the back issues that have slowed his career down. And he makes a lot of money, but it's not, it's not making $38 million a year. So I'm interested. I agree. I would think, Pete, you would be interested in something like that. Getting Burns and Yelich with the prospect return being less because you're taking Yelich's contract. Yeah, I mean, so it's one of these things. It, it, it kind of reminds me of the uh, Robinson Cano trade, right? Like where Mets handed over a top, top prospect and some other salary dumps to bring back an overpriced Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz. And my thing that bothered me was that you spent all that money. You basically paid all of Robinson Cano's contract and you gave up the, the, a top-level prospect. I don't think you need to – like you said, if it's not a top-level prospect and you're still paying the Elich, I think 
I can live with that, but it can't be a top level prospect. You cannot. Even so for Chris, a Red Bull Corbin Burns, you can't do it. Christian Yelich is making $26 million a year for the next five years. So you have to look at it as a five year contract at about $130 million. And even though Yelich had a good year last year, he's not getting five years, 130 on the open market. It is definitely a bloated contract, but it's not a contract that can be completely useless. If he puts up the numbers he put up last year, you'd be okay with it. Um, I agree with you. I, I think a part of taking the Yelich contract back, as David points out, is that you're lessening what you have to give up for Burns. Now, he also, the Brewers, the reports have been, the Brewers want to, everybody's available, right? And so Logic tells you Corbin Burns is certainly available. He's a free agent at the end of the year. And Logic would also tell you that Christian Yellow should be available because he doesn't have a very friendly contract. So obviously, yeah, both guys would be available. But would the Brewers, if they're going through a rebuild, would they actually want to take less back for Corbin Burns? Wouldn't they be better off saying, let's just trade Corbin Burns for the most we can get back? He's a damn good pitcher. He's a perennial National League Cy Young candidate. Let's get the biggest return on him, and let's not worry about the money. Now, if I'm the Brewers, that's what I would do. I would never be a fan of attaching a bad contract and taking less back. So I wouldn't be a fan of it. But you never know if that's their way of ridding themselves of Yelich's contract, then certainly it's a possibility. And and, and also, just to, just to follow up the Yelich thing about his fit with the Mets, I got to be honest, over the past few years, who have we been seeing in left field? We've seen Mark Canna. We've seen a little bit of Tommy Pham was okay. We've seen J.D. Davis. We've seen Je- Jeff McNeil. The, the, if, if Yelich can come close to what he did last year, for $26 million, I'm willing to, quote-unquote, overpay for those type of numbers than what the production we've gotten out of Marcana in the past. Yeah, I, look, if the Brewers basically said, take Yelich's contract, we're not going to pay a dime and we're not going to ask for anything, we're basically going to hand you the contract, then I would hesitate because I don't think the five years, $135 million contract that you're basically taking for nothing is a good contract. But there are caveats to this. If the Brewers are going to pick up some of that money, and now all of a sudden it's not a five-year, $135 million deal, I'm open to that. And then obviously the attachment to a guy like Corbin Burns or Devin Williams, then yeah, I'd be drawn in by it. But the Mets right now, and this is what I want to see from Steve Cohen, and he's already done it, so I'm not asking him to do something he hasn't done yet, is instead of giving up valuable prospects, when money can be used, use the money. When there's a bad contract involved, just take advantage of the bad contract. 